It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening to the Brian Kilmeade Show. It's been a fantastic week. A lot of action. Privileged to be on the air and talking to you. 1-866-408-7669. The number uh, to call. We'll have be able to take calls in about 45 minutes. John Yu is coming up shortly. You know John Yu. He's a former... Uh, he's the former... Um, I used to work in the the Bush White House uh, and the Justice Department. And we have Admiral James Chavides in about 12 minutes to bring us the latest on China and their belligerent behavior, the modernization of their nuclear force, and how I think 80% of the country identify China as our enemy. And that is good because that means you can't split this on party lines anymore. They should be paying for the amount of economic damage they've done, but they will never have enough money to pay us back dollar for dollar. We know that for sure. Today is going to be big. The President of the United States is going to be underlying some support that he has gotten and earned. And that is with law enforcement. He's going to be with the National Association of Police Organizations. Their leadership will be giving him his official endorsement at about 1130. Then he's going to Florida. He's going to meet with the co. He's going to have a campaign event with the coalition with the Florida sheriffs. So he is going to be underlying that. Think about this. 800,000 cops. Not all will vote for him, but most will understand there's a clear law and order and there's a clear disorder. And then you have the families and the retired men and women. Uh, That's a big constituency. Meanwhile, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. And we're telling right now these protesters, and many should be arrested. So they're working today and probably tomorrow to clean out this beehive of terrorists. If they don't do it, we'll be sending in the National Guard. Uh, That is good, but there is some progress. Law and disorder. Day 63 of unrest in Portland. But state police are finally assigned and allowed to do their job. That would allow federal agents to move back and maybe out. As the New York City mayor spends this afternoon painting another street mural, this time in Queens, Black Lives Matter. That's necessary. Why crime goes up 176%. Number two. They promise us that they will have in 2021, at least a couple of hundred million doses of vaccine, and maybe even by the end of the year of 2021, up to a billion. How great is that? Anthony Fauci, I recognize his voice. We are closing in on a vaccine and an inclusion course with the teachers union as we try to get our kids back to school. Anthony Fauci is going to be testifying Capitol Hill. Now we'll be going in and out of that. Meanwhile, Dems and Republicans could not be further apart on the latest rescue package. Number one. Even as we sit here, there are those in power who are doing their darndest to discourage people from voting by closing polling locations and targeting minorities and attacking our voting rights with surgical precision. What? President Obama? A eulogy? It's now clear The former president was humiliated and obsessed with defeating his successor as he converts a eulogy for Congressman Lewis into going after Republicans, gerrymandering, voting rights and other issues driving 2020 as President Trump causes a firestorm by intimating he might just delay the election. And that's where we'll begin. Well, it just came to me this morning and 
that, you know, we thought that for the longest time, the biggest upset in election history, never allowed to enjoy it from the protests that happened right after to the contesting uh, from Jill Stein to the electorates uh, not re- not saying that they will go and report on the Electoral College, even though their state went a certain direction. And to Hillary Clinton saying the Russians were doing it to a full-blown investigation for two and a half years. Donald Trump was never able to celebrate any type of victory, more than a day or two. Next thing you know, he's embroiled in controversy from the day he walked on the stage. Some of it is own doing. I know he's a bit of a wild man. Get it. I understand it. So do you. But I always thought it was Hillary Clinton that was the problem, the Democrats who didn't understand. But it was the retired and former president of the United States, it's abundantly clear, who, get this, has just raised already $24 million for Joe Biden. Can I point out how many times George W. Bush campaigned for John McCain and Mitt Romney? How about this? Let me see. I have it here. Zero. How many? How much Mitt Romney played a role after he did not win? Zero. Gerald Ford campaigning? Almost nothing. Ronald Reagan went invisible. Bush 41, I retired. Bush 43, I am done. I, my, my successor deserves my silence. What happened to that decorum? It is gone. And if you think about it, Barack Obama is responsible that Donald Trump is even running for president. Trump doesn't admit this, but we know this. Donald Trump was called out. He started the Washington Correspondents' Dinner, and he was constantly mocked by Barack Obama. Seth Meyers that day, Barack Obama constantly. Now, was Obama have a reason? I guess he's upset that President Trump said out loud with a lot of people wonder, where was he born? I was never one of those people. I don't care. He's president of the United States, U.S. senator, president. I never thought that mattered at all. Some technicality, he's an American, and I know you got to be born here, and I'm sure he was. I never cared about that. But for Barack Obama and for many other people, they cared, and he never got over it. But what he did is he set the trap uh, and baited Donald Trump to run, and he won. With the Senate and the House, Barack Obama's legacy was blown up and torn apart by Donald Trump. I thought Barack Obama was a talented speaker, had a few good things, but for the most part was a total failure as a president. That's my belief. And do you remember the White House Correspondents' Dinner? And do you remember what Barack Obama said? No one is happier, no one is prouder to put this birth certificate matter to rest than the Donald. And that's because he can finally get back to focusing on the issues that matter. Like, did we fake the moon landing? What really happened in Roswell? And where are Biggie and Tupac? All kidding aside, obviously we all know about your credentials and breadth of experience. Um. He mocked him. Trump left as soon as Seth Meyers was done. And they said, well, I had to leave anyway. I wasn't going to stay for the dinner. There's no way I'm convinced of that. And it was almost as if to say game on. A couple of years later, he would run and he'd win. Along the way, Barack Obama never thought in a million years he'd get the nomination, never thought he would persevere, never thought he would survive the Access Hollywood tape, never thought he would be an established candidate who he endorsed. Cut eight. President Obama will go down as perhaps the worst president in the history of the United States, exclamation point. At real Donald Trump. Well, at real Donald Trump, at least I will go down as a president. 2016, Jimmy Kimmel. Guess what happened? Think about this. And then if you wonder why Joe Biden has a chance, 
It is because Barack Obama is raising money for him. There's no other popular Democratic politician. I mean, think about this. You roll out a 77-year-old. You put out a bunch of people, a mayor from South Bend. You put out a senator who didn't even know the issues in Kamala Harris. You put out a left-wing socialist without any accomplishments in Bernie Sanders, and he almost won. And then you got to wheel out an incompetent vice president who you salted away for four years to try to take down Donald Trump. And even with the economy in the tank, through no fault of his own, stops and starts with a pandemic we've never experienced in our lives. And the mistakes that Donald Trump has made and the successes that he had, you mix it all together— And to me, this is a very close election. But listen to Barack Obama sounding like a child when he should be eulogizing a civil rights legend. Cut one. As long as young people are protesting in the streets, hoping real change takes hold, I'm hopeful, but we can't casually abandon them at the ballot box. Not when few elections have been as urgent on so many levels as this one. Excuse me, aren't you retired? Cut to. Even as we sit here, there are those in power who are doing their darndest to discourage people from voting by closing polling locations and targeting minorities and students with restrictive ID laws. What is he talking about? All he's saying, all President Trump has said, Republicans have insisted, and any logical American listening to me right now would say, is before you vote, can you show ID? Before you get beer, you have to show ID. Before you get on a plane, you have to show ID. Before you get a driver's license, you got to show ID to get get your Social Security check or cash a check, no matter how how rich you are or how poor you are, you cannot exist in our society without ID. And for that small group of people that doesn't have it, there's a temporary ID out there for those who want to show their citizenship, a passport for free. No one's saying don't vote. This is not Jim Crow. This is not Reconstruction, that debacle which plagued our country for 80 years. This is not that. Nobody, everybody should vote. There should be no problems voting. I can't believe how long the lines are. You got an issue there, but that's not any party. That's people. And still only 45% of the country vote. Let them continue. And attacking our voting rights with surgical precision, even undermining the postal service in the run-up to an election that's going to be dependent on mail-in ballots so people don't get sick. Okay, nobody's undermining the Postal Service. It's called reality. The Postal Service cannot handle potentially 330 million, excuse me, uh, let's say eligible to vote, uh, 100 million ballots. They can't handle the absentee ballots. You're never going to know if your vote is, is cast, is counted. Even the smartest people make mistakes. Wouldn't you rather have a poll worker give it to you? For those listening, saying it's too dangerous, got it. So there should be eligibility now in place for those with conditions, diabetes, something that allows you to function but that is, makes you uh, a virus target. And you should be able to vote that way. But you cannot have healthy Americans who will go to the liquor store, go to Target, will, uh, will, will go to Walmart, but you can't go to your local grammar school and push a lever or fill out an application. I am not for that. And that is not because you want to win uh, or lose. That's just I want the right winner to win or lose. That's why we have instant replay in sports. And that's why we have legitimate voting. 
Uh, to me, it's not an issue. I don't want to take too much time away from the Admiral, so Admiral Chastervitas next. Uh, and then we're going to talk to John Yu. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. We hold China as a potential trading partner, as a a country that has pulled millions of, tens of millions of people out of poverty in a short period of time, and as a country growing into a respectable nation among other nations. And I deeply believe that. Well, you are totally detached from reality. Maybe you've been talking to your driver, who is a Chinese spy. That is Senator Dianne Feinstein, who should be more responsible than that. Admiral James Travitas joins us now, 16th Supreme Allied Commander of NATO, uh, author of Sailing True North, 10 Admirals in the Voyage of Character. For, for more on the Admiral at any time, go to uh, AdmiralStav.com. Admiral, are you shocked to hear Senator Feinstein say that at a time in which China could not be more irresponsible? I am. Um, China is... Uh, in a nautical context, is sailing away from the family of nations. And we gave them every opportunity to come in to this this family of international activity. And unfortunately, I think in this era of uh, President Xi, who has consolidated power in himself personally, which is what uh, tyrants and dictators do, Uh, He sees that he doesn't want the kind of uh, outside pressure on his administration, if you will. And so he is uh, creating controversy outside of China that helps him inside China, hence the crackdown in Hong Kong, the pressure on Taiwan, the attack on the Indians in the Himalayas, the pushback on U.S. ships operating in high seas, international waters. Uh, China is sailing away from the family of nations, and we ought to be very concerned about it. What happened by the Galapagos Islands yesterday? Um, you know, it's it's hard to score that one from a distance, but it's, it's simply indicative of the fact uh, that you're going to see a, a lot of global activity 
um, kind of all around the world. Um, and you're going to see controversial actions. Um, who knows uh, if, if that is something that's going to be repeated or something that we see uh, as a one-off. UK, uh, according to China, the UK is in serious jeopardy of poisoning their relationship with China. Uh, they urge the UK to resist pressure from the US and con- uh, that is condemning China and rejected accusations of human rights violations against the Uyghurs, who they basically put in concentration camps and some are going through forced sterilization. Indeed. Um, I think this is the moment for the United Kingdom to stand up and be counted. And, you know, go back to I think the Galapagos they are, right? Island. Indeed they are. And let's go back to the Galapagos uh, incident, for example. This is a fleet of 250 Chinese fishing boats that just show up and start invading internal waters around the Galapagos. The next thing you're going to see is 250 Chinese fishing trawlers and a Chinese floating fish factory show up uh, packing in Icelandic cod around the waters of Great Britain. So uh, the British know what's happening, and they're standing with us. And I'm very proud of them. A particular point, Brian, is that the British have decided to reject the use of this Chinese spy company, Huawei, uh, which is building the 5G network, which is going to be full of backdoors to Beijing. So uh, the Brits are standing with us. They've just commissioned their brand-new, beautiful aircraft carrier, the Queen Elizabeth. Um, They are with us across the board and remain our closest ally. Uh, Admiral, I have to ask you, and I I think I agree with your conclusion, I wish we were not moving troops out of Germany. I understand the president's Uh, frustration with them not playing their 2%, but I wish they weren't doing that. What's the ramifications of this? Yeah, they're negative, Brian, to be honest with you. And and let me start by saying four years Supreme Allied Commander, I did nothing but beat the Germans over the head to increase their defense spending. And I applaud the administration's uh, efforts in that direction, and they have borne some fruit. Um, having said that, pulling 12,000 troops out of Germany, and this is what really disturbs me, 6,000 of which will simply come back to the United States, and we're not going to demobilize those troops. So we're going to have to pay to get them back, pay to put them on a base, pay to maintain them back in the United States. Whereas today the Germans are spending hundreds of millions of dollars, billions over each couple of years to maintain them in Germany. So we're going to bear that financial cost. Secondly, it makes the Germans upset and less inclined in my out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. I view to do what we want them to. And then thirdly, and this is what really sticks in my craw, it's a signal to Vladimir Putin that we are just going to kind of drift out of Europe. And I know that's not going to happen. And I know that's not what the administration intends to signal. um, But it's going to have that consequence of weakening NATO, strengthening the Russians, and we're going to incur financial We are fanning them up to different places like Belgium and Poland, but I would like to add this. It does bother me more than all these other things that they're taking the natural gas from Russia, giving them say 
over their their energy, and we could provide that same natural gas. Doesn't that bother you? It does bother me, and I completely agree that that is a sticking point in the relationship. And by the way, the, the troops are going to go to Belgium and Italy, uh, who spend less on defense than the Germans do. But we ought to be able to package this into a negotiation gotcha. with Germany that gives us uh, leverage and gets the natural gas in gotcha. and keeps the troops there. Let's work that. Admiral Stavridis, always great. Uh, today, no exception. Have a great weekend. Thanks, Brian. You too. Come on next. Galapagos Island. You got it. <laughs> From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Mail-in voting. It's a disaster. I'm very surprised to see that story, frankly, from them. The story is a disaster. So we're asking for a lot of trouble. And uh, no, do I want to see a date change? No. But I don't want to see a crooked election. This election will be the most rigged election in history if that happens. President of the United States uh, causing a firestorm by saying maybe we should delay the election and just getting uh, to underline the fact that no one's paying attention that he says under mail-in voting is not going to work for uh, over 100 million people. It barely works for a million absentees. He's for absentee. He knows mail-in works uh, in some states, but it's not going to work for an entire country. We'll never get a winner. We'll never know if our vote counted. But let's talk to a real legal expert, John Yu, who's excited about his brand new book, and why shouldn't he be, Defender-in-Chief, Donald Trump's Fight for presidential power. John, uh, congratulations on the book. I know you're a busy guy, professor of law at the University of California, Berkeley, ready to get back for another semester, we hope, online or in, in person. So first off, on this topic that had Washington in a tizzy yesterday, did the president make get his point across or was he irresponsible by bringing it up? Well, Brian, thanks for having me back. And I'm, I'm happy to talk about my book. I am excited about it. I'm excited to be with you again, as always. I think that the Constitution gives Congress the power to set the date. Now, but the president, he's allowed to raise a question about should the date be changed. He didn't say a lot of people thought he was saying he was going to change the date. He didn't say that. He's saying, should we change the date? And then I think you're right. The bigger question is, should Congress think about ways to protect the ballot? I think that's really what he's getting at. And he's worried about large scale fraud. I think you still got votes being counted in some elections from the primaries still. But weeks, if not months later right now. When it comes to mail-in voting, the president, of the, United, the former president of the United States says the president is saying he's, uh, he's putting down the post office. He's, he's questioning the integrity of the post office. Is he doing that? <laughs> I don't think he's questioning the post office. It's not the post office that's potentially abusing the ballot box. It's, you know, Democratic and Republican you know, party partisans. Right? It's people who go around and collect ballots. It's people who might be paying for ballots. That's the real question. It might be local officials. I think we have to be concerned with the integrity of the electoral process. I would say it's an attack on the post office itself. That's a really weird thing to think about. Maybe you should 
maybe he should demand that Amazon run the election if he's so about the place. Yeah, it might get there, and Amazon will probably make a zillion dollars from it. Uh, John, <laughs> the president's hardly a legal scholar, but a lot of people are impressed, seemingly you, uh, with the way he stuck with the Constitution. While mayors in Portland say that it's the beginning of becoming your, uh, the, the, the actions of a dictator, you hear the president's been trampled over the Constitution when he grabs funds set for defense and puts them into the border. But yet your book defends him. Why? Because I think that it's his enemies that really want to overturn the Constitution, want, want to toss aside institutions and the long history and traditions of our country. Trump, instead, is defending the Constitution. A lot of people might have been wary of him in the beginning because he was a populist, but he's turned out to govern like a constitutional conservative. I'll give you some examples. It's not Trump. It's the Democrats who want to get rid of the Electoral College, who want to pack the Supreme Court with six new justices, who want to create independent councils all over to conduct even more investigations using the criminal law. They want 16-year-olds to vote, too, right? Yeah, they they want to add a few more states to the country, too, while they're at it. They want to nationalize the uh, transportation and energy sectors and service some vague Green New Deal. That's left Trump the duty to protect the, the traditional constitutional values and understandings of our country and to fight back against the, uh, the Mueller investigation or impeachment or now these nutty proposals to nationalize parts of the economy. So I, I argue that Actually, he's really become the unanticipated, unexpected defender of the Constitution against the far left, which would love to overthrow it. When did you realize this was a topic that you could digest, John, with your more traditional uh, uh, legal education with a guy that spent all his time in business, almost none in in the Congress, none in the Congress, obviously, where you could kind of learn about the the Constitution laws and, and things to that nature? When did you realize you had a premise for a book? Well, Brian, if I listen to you or I watch your show and I, and I see the day-to-day trench warfare of politics, you know, I see the, the jousts and jabs between the president and the Congress and the courts, what I want to do is to step back and let readers see the bigger picture. For example, you and I follow the Mueller report, and, but the, taking a step back, what seemed to me at a constitutional level was this was a, res, a revolt by the elite bureaucracy in Washington, by the head of the FBI and the headquarters staff who didn't think the people should have the right to choose their own president, that they had the right to decide who is fit and unfit to hold the top office. They confused that the people vote for the president and they work for the president so we can hold the government accountable. They almost thought that we don't know what our own good and they're going to protect us from ourselves. That's not the kind of constitution that the framers created. So I see you were back at the White House. You worked for George W. Bush. You were back at the White House yesterday. You talked to the president one-on-one. I see the picture online. Uh, how was the president? How were his spirits? It was another crazy day in the White House tornado, uh, along with the the eulogy where he was the subject of criticism from the former president, um, along with the coronavirus challenges. And then we had the election controversy. In the middle of that, you're there. What was it like? It's amazing. I actually went by uh, just to deliver a copy of the book, and the staff person said, hey, why don't you come here and meet the president? By the way, it was the only way I could get a test for the COVID virus, because I'm living in California. <laughs> I had to fly 3,000 miles to get a test. <laughs> um, and it was great. You know, it was so different. You would never have known all those storms were going on outside. He was calm. I think he was engaging. He was charming. He was, he was I think, actually quite different than how he's portrayed 
in some parts of the media. We had a great conversation. We talked about the Constitution. We talked about the Supreme Court. He was on top of the recent Supreme Court decisions, which justices were voting which way, which that way. And I thought most people, if they'd been in his position after four years of the waves of attacks where he's been called a dictator, excuse me, and a fascist, they would have just had it. But I saw a guy who I thought was enjoying the job, has a lot of energy, and I think is looking forward for the campaign and and already thinking about his next term. Which is interesting, John. So you're one of the people like Karl Rove, um, like John Sununu, uh, like Condoleezza Rice to a degree, the old-time traditional Republicans who have no problem embracing the unorthodox style of the president. And I ask this a lot, and some of my listeners will recognize this, but then there's things like the Lincoln Project and John Bolton, who's always been a good friend of the show, um, yes. who just cannot, the Bush family, cannot embrace the yes. president and his style. Mitt Romney, what, what is it about you who fit their mold more than the Trump mold, but yet can, under, can write a book like this defending him? And I admire a lot of those figures for bringing us through the 9-11 attacks and the years after. And I know you do, Brian, that's when we first met. And I, what, look, I think what Trump represents, and there's a very few parallels to him. I would say the parallels closest to me that come to mind are Andrew Jackson or maybe uh, Abraham Lincoln. These are people who came into office and they broke the mold of Teddy politics. Roosevelt to a degree? Yeah, Teddy Roosevelt, definitely. And they had... The American people have had it, I think, with the way politics has run, the way our government had run for the last few years. And so he came in as a proverbial bull in the China shop. He's doing what the American people wanted him to do, which was to right, upend things, to break the hold of the elites and to have more of a democratic voice in government. And that's going to make people unhappy who are part of the existing establishment that always does. Uh, what I would argue in my book is that Despite his changes in the norms of the president, the way just the presidency operates as a political figure, he has a solid constitutional grounding for what he does. That office gives the president the powers to switch quickly the policies of the country on a dime, to protect the country better, to get in and intervene in cities where you see all these riots and defend federal property and force uh, federal law. It's really his attackers who I I find so extreme say, oh, he's fascist or he's setting an occupying army, whereas we look at what Trump's actually doing, he is acting well within the law, well within the practice of presence from going all the way back to George Washington. So we're sitting and trying to put Congressman Lewis's life in perspective, and Barack Obama was an incredible speaker, decides to use this to go after President Trump and the policies of the administration. And I want you to do something with this 23 seconds and tell me if Barack Obama is based in fact. Cut three. By ending some of the partisan gerrymandering so that all voters have the power to choose their politicians, not the other way around. And if all this takes eliminating the filibuster, another Jim Crow relic, in order to secure the God-given rights of every American, then that's what we should do. Okay, first off, gerrymandering, a partisan divide. Gerrymandering's been there since day one. Yeah, I don't know what he's talking about. Often, and I know these are the things that Obama tried to do when he went, hey, I had his eight years and he had a chance. But look, President Germany has been there since the founding of the Constitution. It's not illegal. And also, I don't see what President Trump has to do about it. President Trump's not involved in drawing congressional districts throughout the country. That's done at the state level. So that's just completely off. But it really shows you the extremes the left will to go to. They want to get rid of the filibuster, which has been in our country's history, has limited the 
the majoritarianism in the Senate for a hundred more than a hundred years. You can see again who is it that really wants to tear up constitutional traditions and who really wants to preserve them. If they get rid, if they get the House and the Senate and they get their dream, Joe Biden as president. We will not recognize this country. He's saying he's the number one Democrat in the country. Joe Biden will be a figurehead for who's ever pushing him and whatever Joe, uh, Barack Obama wants. And he's saying, hey, Schumer, if you're the majority, you better get rid of the filibuster because with the House, we got to change everything right away. I agree. In fact, that's why this election is so important, because if you just read what they say, what they say they will do if they take power, uh, they will shift the country in such a far left. Discourse. The only thing left to protect us will be maybe the Bill of Rights. But you're right, Brian, the House, the Senate without a filibuster and the president, they control all three branches. You'll see things like Obamacare, but apply to every part of the economy. Everything will be nationalized. They plan on spending seven trillion dollars. Uh, well, how is president the president keeping the Constitution alive? Well, another thing I, I think I enjoy. I don't have the results yet, but the president actually said, "I will be the state's backup." Hey, governors, you know your state better than me. Hey, mayors, you know your city better than me. I'll support you, but you're the one who's got to get these tests and uh, and provide the infrastructure to survive this pandemic. And the, the guy that believed in federalism that empowered the states is also the authoritarian who puts 50 federal agents into cities that clearly are out of control. Is the, are these examples of the president do, acting within the Constitution being charged with something entirely different? Well, this is why I find so hypocritical about the accusations about President Trump. On the one hand, he's a dictator. On the other hand, they're demanding when it comes to pandemic, why aren't you a dictator? Because, as you said, Brian, on most issues, public health and safety, those are in the hands of state and local officials. The federal government, as you said, is the backup. President Trump doesn't have the power to declare a nationwide shutdown, nor does he have the power to declare a nationwide reopening. Unfortunately, that's in the hands of some fairly incompetent governors around here. He can't make a policy nationwide for public health and safety. What he can do is step in if the state and local officials aren't doing their job or they're overwhelmed, and that's what you're seeing in places like Seattle and Portland, I'm afraid those are cases where the local government just refuses to protect the rights of their citizens, they're right, refusing to protect federal buildings, and that's when then you have to send in federal resources as the backup. As you said, Brian, as the backup, but not the front line. And so I think actually President Trump has been acting with interest. This is a power that President Lincoln used, that President Washington used. And I think Trump is acting well within the guidelines of the Constitution when he does so. John Yu, congratulations on your book, Defender in Chief, Donald Trump's Fight for Presidential Power. I look forward to the legal argument you make. Thanks, John. Brian, thanks for having me back uh, yeah, anytime. Absolutely. We're going we're gonna to bother you again. I hope you don't mind. Uh, congratulations. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. I'm going to be able to take some calls just around the bend. We will also be able to pull in some highlights from uh, James Clyburn, uh, Steve Scalise, uh, the CDC director, as well as Anthony Fauci. Brian Kilmeade Show, all happening now. Expanding your knowledge base, it's Brian Kilmeade. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Since the earliest days of this crisis... The Trump administration has also refused to call on Americans to take simple steps 
to stay safe, like wearing a mask and social distancing. Instead, the president has downplayed the severity of the crisis, claiming the virus will disappear, sidelining government experts who disagree and seek to legitimize discredited remedies. That is just such, such uh, partisan rhetoric when we're at a time in which we're in the middle of a pandemic. James Clyburn, chairman of the committee in front uh, that has uh, Fauci, the CDC director, uh, as well as the admiral there answering questions. Now they're critical of the Trump administration for now pushing everyone to wear a, a mask early. Guess what? Nobody was wearing a mask early, including the peer person that now taking the questions that Brad Pitt portrays on SNL. It's getting an Emmy nomination for. I'm not kidding. Jerry, listen to WOKV in Jacksonville. Hey, Jerry. Hey, Brian. Uh, I just wanted to say really quick, we had Ebola, H1N1, uh, swine flu, Zika, None of this made us shut our country down. Our country is unrecognizable now. And you said if a Democrat gets in office and takes control, that we wouldn't recognize our country. Well, we can't recognize it now. We have failed leadership at the top, and no one's talking about the debt. Trillions and trillions of debt. Uh, absolutely. The debt's real, Jerry. The debt's real, and they want to pile more on. They say we need $3 trillion. And if you say less than $3 trillion, you don't like working-class people. I don't, you don't have a big heart. Now, in terms of leadership, we can analyze it, but as Ron Klain said, we got really lucky with H1N1 because we lucked out through no, uh, through no uh, credit to ourselves because it just happened to peter out. Not what we're experiencing now. No one's had to deal with a virus like this. And think about this. Name one country that's handled it. It's coming back almost everywhere except New Zealand. Again, even in the oppressive society who created it, China, it's coming back again. Hong Kong, they're cracking down. It's coming back again. Japan, Germany, Spain, been banned from the other, uh, the other European nations. The UK medical system has collapsed. How can it be Trump's fault with this virus that we still don't know how it was created? He did not take responsibility at the beginning. He did not be serious about it. He called it a hoax. He called it, it's not real. It's going to magically go away. If we would have jumped on it, like the Obama administration did with all no. the rest of the stuff that we were No, facing, wait, did he shut we, down the country? Have this issue. Did the, did, you can't compare no, him. I don't even for, think, for I don't, if anyone who compares H1N1, swine flu, Ebola, to what got hit, uh, what hit us is not being practical, being purely political, especially because we're looking at China. And guess what? It was launched in December in Europe. We have the Italians coming here, the Spanish coming here, French, I guess. And next thing you know, New York has been infected. We didn't even know about the virus yet. So if the president said everything right, I don't think one thing would have been changed, but he could have been more concise earlier. But if they didn't have the Ukraine, the Mueller investigation, hammering him and then switch to this, there wouldn't have been a problem. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everybody. Thanks so much for listening to the Friday edition of The Big Show. Matthew Continenti at the bottom of the hour. He is 
uh, with the Washington Free Beacon. And Sean Hannity is just getting out of the shower uh, because he probably has already worked out four or five times already today, getting ready for his two shows. He's going to be joining us because he's pumped up for his brand new book, Live Free or Die, America and the World in brackets on the brink. Uh, And he's going to talk about what's at stake coming out in August. And he's going to have a very unique book tour in that we can't really go out and see people if you have a book out. So he's going to get the word out through airwaves like this and his two monster shows at night. And, of course, uh, over radio. He is the most powerful broadcaster in radio. I think it's like uh, uh, the last three years and the last two years, number two for the last 20. So let's get to the big three and then get to Sean. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. And we're telling right now these protesters, and many should be arrested. So they're working today and probably tomorrow to clean out this beehive of terrorists. If they don't do it, we'll be sending in the National Guard. Law and disorder. Day 63 of unrest in Portland. A state official, state police are finally allowed to do their job. This as the New York City mayor spends his afternoon painting another street mural, this time in Queens, while shooting and shootings are, are rising and crime ravages the city streets. Those are the issues that are now blowing up in the Democrats' faces. Number two. They promise us that they will have in 2021 at least a couple of hundred million doses of vaccine and maybe even by the end of the year of 2021 up to a billion anthony fauci now speaking on capitol hill he's testifying in front of uh, james clyburn's committee but that was him yesterday talking about the hopes we have for a vaccine and the collision course we're having with teachers unions who are stopping kids from getting into the classrooms meanwhile democrats and republicans could not be further apart on a fourth rescue package number one even as we sit here There are those in power who are doing their darndest to discourage people from voting by closing polling locations and targeting minorities and attacking our voting rights with surgical precision. Sounds like a heck of a eulogy, right? Did anyone hear anything about Congressman Lewis in that? It is now clear President Obama was humiliated and is obsessed with defeating his successor, Donald Trump. It's not Hillary Clinton. It's Obama. They can't get over it. That is clear after he converts his eulogy for Lewis to go after Republicans, bringing up gerrymandering, voting rights and other issues, driving the 2020 campaign, causing a firestorm by, uh, by the way, the president of the United States did cause a firestorm by intimating that he might delay the election. He wants to get everyone talking about uh, bail and voting. But it's my great pleasure to bring in Sean Hannity, author of the soon to be released book, Live Free or Die. Uh, It is already racing up the Amazon charts. Sean, welcome. Hey, Brian, how are you, my friend? What's going on? I'm pumped up. I had a revelation hey, this morning. by the way, what's this? Uh, oh, I didn't get to interview Sean Hannity. What's up with that? Uh, uh, with uh, Greg Jarrett today. What, 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 why all the shots? I thought we were friends. We're two guys from Long Island. We know each other. We're friendly. Well, Sean, let me clarify the record, okay? Because what you just put out is disinformation. It's the jealousy that I felt. Uh, It's the jealousy that Brian Kilmeade felt. Because Greg Jarrett got to interview you for a Fox Nation special that's going to air tonight at 7. Uh, Right? It's, It's about your book. And I say, well, you know, me and Ainsley are available. We have our whole afternoons available. You've got a gap between 12 and 3 before your radio show starts. Either If you picked Ainsley, I understood. But, you know, me and we campaign every day of the week to be your friend. And we fell short. And it was me lashing out at Greg for winning the interview. Okay, okay. You're, you're, you're just lying through your teeth. 
Radio is about honesty. It's a hard medium. And you know I love you guys. Uh, I'm the biggest fan of Fox and Friends. And, you know, I usually try to catch the top of the hour, at least two hours of your show, because I love that part because you get so much news and information. And uh, but anyway, I'm going to be on with you guys next week. So I'm excited about it. So are you excited for the book release? Because you haven't done one in a few years and we're in a brand new environment. now. I haven't done one in a decade, Brian. It's been 10 years since I've done a book. Um, I'll tell you, and you know why, because they're hard. I mean, it's a lot. I I actually decided to do this about a year ago um, because I saw the moment was coming. I I didn't know it would be as crystal clear as it's now become in terms of, I just knew this, this is going to be a tipping point. I see the democratic party just, just racing, not only to the left, but to the far radical left. I mean, we can see this now with all these, you know, with Joe Biden leading the way and then the comments of Barack Obama yesterday, which we can talk about, uh, you know, they're out there using tear gas and batons on peaceful protesters. Uh, that's just a lie. That is not true in any way, shape, matter, or form. You know, the hundred or so uh, uh, federal agents that have gone to protect federal buildings that these liberal governors and liberal mayors cannot and are not protecting, that have they've had attempts at, at burning them to the ground and all sorts of graffiti and violence and and vandalism. So they've gone in to do what their job is. But Donald Trump has not sent troops into these cities. He's begging these mayors to help them to restore law and order. Uh, then you got, you know, so you have those comments of Obama just on that specific part. Then you got the comments of Joe Biden. Police, they have become the enemy. Um, not a one word about the brave men and women, the 99 percent that put their lives on the line for us every day that are out there dealing and it's fighting, unbelievable. not with peaceful protesters, but with anarchists. Listen, and rocks and bottles and bricks and and bats and hockey sticks and Molotov cocktails and fireworks and guns and knives. You know, we have nearly 2000 police officers injured around the country, about 14 now dead. And nobody seems to you know, want to talk about it and violence spiraling out of control. The one thing these cities all have in common, Brian, New York, Chicago, Seattle, Portland, Los Angeles, they've all been run by liberal Democrats for right. decades. But, Sean, and there, there are times it, you, you see the party yeah. divided, like for a corporate tax and you see them divided on, you know, Obamacare. I get it. Those are issues and people have different beliefs. But this is the first time that I can remember something so blatantly so blatantly wrong, the riots, the Antifa presence, uh, the defilement of public property, the putting the uh, federal agents in place because they had no other choice. They've already given a pre- We're seeing right and wrong, and they want to flip the script on us and pretend as if we don't know the difference. And when you mentioned Barack yeah. Obama and the eulogy, this is what you were referring to. Bull Connor may be gone, but today... We witness with our own eyes police officers kneeling on the necks of black Americans. George Wallace may be gone, but we can witness our federal government sending agents to use tear gas and batons against peaceful demonstrators. It's unbelievable. I couldn't believe what I was listening to. Hey, hey, by the way, does anyone know that uh, he's talking about George Wallace, the Democrats? You know, he's mentioning Democrats. You know, it was funny. He, when he brought up the voting rights aspect yesterday, 
he talked about extending the Voting Rights Act and honoring John Lewis with that. Now, I happen to know a lot about John Lewis because I lived in Atlanta for four years, and I got to know a lot about these brave civil rights icons. And, and he, his life is he, is he made us a more perfect union. The Civil Rights Act, Voting Rights Act, in large part happened because of nonviolent protesting by Martin Luther King Jr., John Lewis. I mean, the bravery that these men and women faced, you know, there were dogs and fire hoses and, and he got hit a fractured skull with a brick to his head. You cannot have anything but great admiration and courage. And they made us a more perfect union because that resulted in the Civil Rights Act, the Voting Rights Act, 64, 65. And here's a great, really sick, ugly irony and a part of history that Democrats don't want to talk about. And that is that the people, the person that Joe Biden says is his mentor, his great mentor, the great lion of the Senate, the one that Hillary Clinton brags about, the one that Bill Clinton brags about and Schumer and Pelosi brag about. Well, they're bragging about the guy that actually filibustered the Civil Rights Act of 64, the Voting Rights Act. And and how is it now they're, you know, is anyone going to challenge in the mob and the media, Joe nope. Biden, and say, excuse me, you're praising the guy that actually would have prevented that from happening when people like John Lewis literally risked their lives mm-hmm. to ensure a more perfect union, ensure that we become uh, a better country. And I didn't agree with John Lewis's politics, but I, you know, when I lived in Atlanta, I got to, to know the guys like Maynard Jackson and Hosea Williams and Joseph Lowry, the SCLC. A lot of these guys always came on my radio show and I got a history lesson and I have nothing but deep yeah. admiration for them. And they made the country a better place and they made progress by, by their courage and their bravery uh, under fire. It wasn't, a, it wasn't a Republican in front of the schoolhouse door. That would be Democrats. If you look at, you know, Al Gore's father, Al Gore, when he was running for president, and we see this every two years, every four years, Brian, and I chronicled it last night on Hannity. I did it on my radio show yesterday. Every two and four years, Republicans are racist, sexist, misogynist, xenophobic, homophobic, Islamophobic. They want dirty air and water, and they want to take grandma on a wheelchair and throw over a cliff and kill her, because that's what they say. That is their playbook. Yesterday, Obama went back to the playbook, and it was at a eulogy for somebody that did make change yep. while he's advocating for a guy that praises the guy that would have that tried to prevent the change that John Lewis helped make happen, and he did help make it happen. To me, in that sense, in spite of political disagreements, he was a, a brave, heroic, soul that made the world yep. a better place but listen, by that courage Sean, so, just promise know, to listen it, to this if this, it, this is playbook 101 this is this is every two four years it's rich versus poor it's black versus white it's old versus young it's identity politics this playbook never changes it's every election cycle brian I like to see Republicans make a real push, concerted, consistent push for the African-American vote. But just promise me, if you are picked to give my eulogy, and there'll be a long line, Sean, I can't guarantee you victory, please don't bring up gerrymandering uh, or the Voter Rights Act. All right, can you focus on me? Just focus on me. What do you mean if I'm picked? 
to do your eulogy. I'm just saying there's uh, going to be a lot of people. Are, are you planning on leaving us anytime soon? Because, no. Uh, I'd prefer that you actually stick around a while and hang out with us. <laughs> um, and I think your radio and TV audiences. By the way, we do kid Brian at Fox a lot. We all get on Brian's case because Brian, Brian's on the air more than anybody in the world. Brian does three hours of Fox and Friends. By oh. the way, number one morning show on cable news, which we're, you know, congratulations to you, Stephen Ainsley. And, you know, he then he does three hours of radio, and he's doing phenomenal on his radio show. And then he does usually outnumbered. Then he often fills in on the five, and then he'll fill in for Tucker. And for good measure, he might even show up at 11 p.m. at night and do another show. <laughs> um, it's a fun job. Way, I'm going to make the most of work. it. It's a credit to you for your work yeah. ethic. We, well, we do like to kid you a little bit. Absolutely. And uh, I enjoy it. Uh, listen, Sean, live free or die. In terms of what is it? I mean, do you feel almost like you're, it's almost like a kid. You want to make sure it's exposed. You want to go out there and sell it, but it's not the easiest thing to do, right? So this is going to be so, it's going to be different because you can't go for the big audience. You can't go to the live event. How do you plan on yeah, rolling it I mean, out? Look, I know you, you've done a lot of book tours. The three books that I did do, the last one was in 2010, Conservative Victory. And I actually enjoy meeting our radio and television yep. audience and, yep. and looking people in the eye and talking to them and or just saying hello. And, and you know, because it's the people of this country that make America great. Brian, it's not people on TV and radio and it's not people in government. It's It's the people. The people that get up every day, work hard, shovel coffee down their throat. They play by the rules. They obey the laws. They pay their taxes. You know, they they race home after their 12-hour, 14-hour day. They they shovel some food down their throat, spend a little time with their kids. They crash at night. They get up, and the grind starts again early the next morning. So I, what what's bothering me and what has concerned me and what I saw coming is now even worse than I, I I thought when I started, because now you've got a Joe Biden barely there, by the way, and and certainly not very articulate. Doesn't seem to be very mentally alert or physically fit, and and does he have the strength, the stamina, the mental alertness to be president? Is a fair question that the media did ask of Reagan in, in 1984. So, but what is he doing? I've never seen this in my entire life, and politics has been my life for over three decades. And that is, instead of moving to the center, what did he do? He's now literally plagiarized uh, Bernie Sanders' economic agenda. He's agreed to spend trillions and trillions of taxpayer dollars on AOC's Green New Deal. He's now adopted Bezo Bozo as his guns are, the confiscation of gun guy. And then he's got Pelosi and Schumer and himself, which is 125 years of swamp experience. I want to ask your radio audience one question. And then we got to go. Can they, answer, can they answer this question? What has Joe Biden ever done in 47 years in Washington? And if somebody can tell me what he has done to earn this promotion that he's asking for, what did Biden and Obama do? You know, Obama to get another four. about. You know, okay. Well, let's look at the let's look at the record. They left they left the economy with 13 million more Americans on food stamps, 8 million more in poverty, and the lowest labor participation rate in the in since the 70s. And by the way, the people most disproportionately hurt by their horrible economic policies were minorities in America, 
Now look at Donald Trump's America. And Sean, okay, I hear you. Just, Unfortunately, it's all in your book. Are you chronicled. cutting me off? Well, it's got that hard break, and you're a professional radio guy, number one in the world. You're saying goodbye? Live free (laughs) or die. Pick it up. Uh, America on the Brink. Sean, congratulations. It's an awesome book. We'll talk to you again about it and watch it tonight. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back, everyone. Went a little long with Sean, but he's the best and a better guy. Even as powerful as he is, he's actually a nicer guy uh, than you would have possibly imagined. Uh, and please go pick up his book. Missy's online in West Virginia. Missy. Hi, Brian. Thanks for taking my call. So I'm watching as the news media again says, now we're going to have to lock back down again. I want to appeal to people's sense of logic and reasoning, and I want you to listen to what I say, and I want you to think about it for yourself and make your own decision. Last year, 2.8 million people died in the United States, not of coronavirus, okay? That comes out to 7,600 people a day, 228,000 a month. That's a month. Today is day 211 on the Julian calendar. 1.6 million people have already died this year, based off of last year's statistics, of things other than coronavirus. If you got up this morning, you have a chance of dying. If you plugged anything into an electrical outlet, you have a chance of dying. If you took a shower, could have died there too. If you went to the bathroom, could have died there too. Coronavirus is serious. It is. How many people are going to die because of what they're not getting? Because of 150,000 people that have passed away. When 228,000 will die each month, normally, outside of coronavirus. Missy, you're awesome. Great call. Great stats. Anthony Fauci did say yesterday he does not believe we should do a lockdown. Just do five separate things. Uh, one of them better not be wear goggles because I'm not doing it. Uh, thanks so much, Missy. Put it all in perspective. Matthew Continenti next. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Information you want, truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. As long as young people are protesting in the streets, hoping real change takes hold, I'm hopeful, but we can't casually abandon them at the ballot box. Not when few elections have been as urgent on so many levels as this one. That is President Obama yesterday, and I'm, I guess I'm in the minority. I, I could not believe that eulogy. It was pure politics. It was a stump speech for Joe Biden, I, and, and they even had the crowds and the applause to go with it. Maybe, uh, maybe you don't agree. I look forward to getting you calls in 10 minutes, but right now it's, uh, I'm lucky enough to have Matthew Continenti with us. He's a resident fellow at the American Enterprise Institute and founding editor of the Washington Free Beacon. Matt, I was struck by that eulogy, but not many people were. I, I just thought that it was pure, I'm going to beat Donald Trump. It was vintage Barack Obama, Brian. It was exactly what we experienced during eight years of his presidency. A lot of highfalutin rhetoric, 
mellifluously delivered, masking cold partisan partisanship. Um, the classic Obama trope is to frame the debate uh, as one where if you disagree with him, you are morally corrupt. And so uh, for him to say that, you know, opposition to reinstating the Voting Rights Act uh, as it existed before the Supreme Court changed it a few years ago is somehow racist, um, saying that uh, it's time to abolish the filibuster as a legacy of Jim Crow, something that Senator Obama never, never raised when he used the filibuster against President Bush's nominees. It was classic Obama. And what a study in contrast, I thought, between Obama's eulogy and the eulogy delivered by President George W. Bush, which was unifying, was really all about John Lewis and John Lewis's faith and his courage and and brief, unlike Obama's. So, Matt, I was thinking about this this morning, and it just became abundantly clear for the, for the last three and a half years. We said, what is, why can't Hillary Clinton get over it? Man, what a sore loser. But she is nothing compared to President Obama. I mean, he was the one who <laughs> left with his legacy in tatters, left without the Senate, the House, or the White House. He's the one who had basically everything undone that he did by President Trump. And he has himself to blame. He actually uh, uh, browbeat President Trump to run with things like this. Do you remember Barack Obama with, on Jimmy Kimmel, 2016, cut eight? President Obama will go down as perhaps the worst president in the history of the United States, exclamation point, at real Donald Trump. <laughs> well, at real Donald Trump, at least I will go down as a president. And, and you remember on the White House Correspondents' Dinner, I mean, he called him out, basically, and made a mockery of him. Cut seven. No one is happier, no one is prouder to put this birth certificate matter to rest than the Donald. And that's because he can finally get back to focusing on the issues that matter. Like, did we fake the moon landing? What really happened in Roswell? And where are Biggie and Tupac? All kidding. And it got worse. And I'm just saying that he called him out, mocked him, and then he lost to him. And if you think about it, Hillary Clinton is really looks like a uh, looks like Al Gore in the classy way he handled it compared to Barack Obama. He's raised 24 million already for Joe Biden. You know, I think that eulogy, Brian, reminded a lot of people of everything they disliked about eight years of Barack Obama. And, and let's not forget, Obama is probably more responsible than anyone for Donald Trump's election. And if you consider the course of Obama's presidency, over those eight years, the Democrats lost everything. They lost the state legislatures. They lost the majority of governorships. Yeah. By the end of the eight years, they had lost to Congress. And Obama never changed course. He never ended the um, attacks on conservatives. He never decided to moderate his policies. He, he, in fact, after the 2014 repudiation, when the Republicans finally got the Senate, um, he, he went ahead and he started um, expanding the DACA program, which he had said over 11 times that he had lacked the authority to do. It was precisely this kind of holier-than-thou condescension and moralistic approach to mm. politics that I think drove a lot of Republicans into thinking that they had to embrace an outsider who was willing to disrupt everything 
in the form of Donald Trump. Uh, and as it happened, Trump won. And now Obama doesn't have much of a legacy at all. In fact, the only the only hint, glint of a legacy would be if Biden wins and then they can attempt to have some type of reconstruction of what Obama tried to do. True. It's going to be interesting. And that's why so much at stake for Barack Obama, where Joe Biden does not seem to have a, a tenth of the passion, let alone the vigor. The other story that the President Trump swamped everybody by saying, I think I might uh, tweet it out indicating that I might delay the election because I'm not into this mail-in voting. Uh, and he changed everybody. We weren't talking about the economy. We weren't talking about Congressman Lewis. We were talking about Trump refusing to leave office. Do you? I think in the beginning I rolled my eyes and said, here we go again. But then he made it clear in his press conference there was a reason for it. Cut 14. Mail-in voting. It's a disaster. I'm very surprised to see that story, frankly, from them. The story is a disaster. So we're asking for a lot of trouble. And uh, no, do I want to see a date change? No. But I don't want to see a crooked election. This election will be the most rigged election in history if that happens. And now we're talking about mail-in voting, which is exactly what he wants. I personally, just as an American, I am totally against it. I know we need it for absentees, but there's no way our system can handle 100 million ballots. No way. I think that the president, you know, um, is very good at manipulating the media into talking about what he wants them to talk about. I do think he backed off the tweet by the end of the day, though, Brian. Just like that. Mainly yeah. because mainly because of the, um, the strong opposition. Um, that it provoked among Republicans, um, Republicans unanimously saying that there would be no change in the election and that there shouldn't be a change and that we've had elections in war, depression, pandemic before. So that kind of, I think, forced the president to say, well, what I was really talking about was the uh, potential for fraud. And there is potential for fraud. Uh, and that's why I think it's very important, though, that the government needs to do everything it can to expand polling places, for example. So one of the you see these long lines. I think that has a lot to do with just a lack of personnel, a lack of um, technology in order to have the polling places that would allow maximum amount of you know socially distant in-person voting. I think that should be a priority for the Congress. And that would be great. President Trump. And the president should bring that up. Here's my way of solving the situation or have it over two days. Uh, and, and maybe we could have two days, uh, Monday and Tuesday, whatever it takes in these extraordinary times moving forward. Well, Matt, what do you hear on this rescue package? To me, I think they'll be lucky to get anything done by the middle of August. What's your sense? Yeah, that's what I'm hearing, too. I think things are at a standstill. I think the Democrats believe that they have all the cards, um, you know, and the Democrats think that they can go into August, keep the senators here, but nothing will be accomplished. And all the t- while uh, browbeating um, the Republicans with the help of the media, saying that the Republicans are standing in the way of giving um, the unemployed the full $600 bonus. So uh, this is a terrible situation for a lot of reasons. One is, you know, um, there are things that a bill can do, such as uh, help the schools, you know, and the, uh, and including giving the money directly to the parents, which I think is a great idea that some of the Senate Republicans have so that parents can make their own decision about the schooling for their for their children, which is so necessary right now. Um, but unfortunately, because the Democrats think the politics of this helps them, that they're for more money for people, no matter you know what the uh, cost is to the federal deficit. Um, that they can kind of hold this process hostage and basically force the Republicans to give in. So it's a, it's a terrible situation. But you know what? One that's very common in American politics. 
um, over the last several years. Uh, Matt, you wrote yesterday uh, about, or today, I forgot what today's date is, your last article, it was about baseball. Baseball is back. The Marlins are on hold for now. Uh, there's uh, some other issues I'm seeing crossing, but do you believe they'll make it through the season? I hope so, Brian. I just My, my whole uh, life has been cheered by the, the re- return of baseball, and then last night, the NBA. So nice to have sports back. They give us something new to talk about, to bring some kind of surprise and unpredictability into kind of this endless drudgery of the coronavirus. I will say this, though, what's happened to the Marlins, if you look into this story, it just shows the importance of individual behavior in combating this this pandemic. It seems that some Marlins did not obey the protocols, that they're not supposed to socialize or go out to bars um, when they're when they're playing and um, or in between games. And uh, that that has the downside effect of potentially not only ruining the Marlins season, but all of Major League Baseball. So once again, the bottom line is individual responsibility is key. The St. Louis Cardinals now have multiple members test positive uh, for the coronavirus, resulting in the postponing of Friday afternoon's game with the Brewers. So, I mean, my, my real worry is that this is going to spread and we won't have much of a season. But, but you know, look at the NBA model, though, when you get all the bubble. athletes together, the, have the bubble, and that seems to be more effective. So if, I think the NFL should, should maybe consider something like that because I need that football to take us through the end of the year for sure. Hey, Matt, the other thing I would do, I, I, baseball's got to persevere. It's, it's the nature of sports in, in particular. Remember the Yankees last year? They lost their entire lineup and two, uh, and two, uh, at least two pitchers, and they ended up winning the division going pretty far. So I would activate the whole AAA roster. And when you lose 11 guys, just bring them up and bring them down, and we'll understand it. Oh, that's not usually the way it's done. Active. No, no, we get it. 11 down, 11 up. Pull them back, pull them forward, and we'll get to see the depth of an organization. That I would activate them tomorrow, and I'd have them practicing in another area. And that's a sort of creative. What I'm thinking that we need, what I've been so distraught about during this pandemic is no one is thinking creatively. No one is thinking in terms of half measures or the compromises that need to be made. For example, take the schools. All of the science, all of the science shows that the K through 3, K through 4, there is there is very little risk to the children, and I even think to the to the teachers. And if it's, so, why aren't we having a discussion about making sure we have in person for at least those grades, you know? And then and then maybe move on, see how things go. Everything has to be total, I think. And this is I think the, this is the media contributes a lot to this. Everything has to be one way or the other. You either have baseball or you no baseball for anyone you either have schools open or you have to close them all virtual learning indefinitely um which is just which is just horrendous it's just horrendous it's horrendous for parents and and for our society and for the kids matt Um, you you hang out with military i like like your creative thought yeah i think that we should follow through on that know what you're going to do you're going to be on brett bear in the panel and you're going to offer it as your idea and and i will not (laughs) file charges of that and you and but i'm going to borrow from you I'll be like Joe Biden and plagiarize you, Brian. <laughs> Make it your new policy. Put it on your exactly. platform. But, Matt, my, my exit thing to you is this. If you've ever been around the military, they are just trained to be resourceful. They don't complain. I know almost to a person. They're always saying, what is plan B? What is plan C? We've got to find a way. There's just, failure's not an option. 
And to me, we wake up thinking, okay, failure is the only way. Wait a second. Can we come up with something different? Can we persevere? And guess what? If my idea is wrong, let's take your idea or let's nuance my idea. It's just that we throw up our hands. I find it so discouraging and disheartening as a country. And I think politics has a lot to play in it. If you were not getting paid as a teacher, don't tell me you wouldn't have been down there putting arrows on the ground in the hallways. But you are getting paid anyway. And teachers are great people. I was lucky enough to have great teachers. Most people I know are that teachers in the family, they're fantastic. They don't do it for the money. They don't do it for the summers off. I get it. But they're getting paid anyway. So if, if I wasn't getting paid, you better believe I'd be meeting with scientists. I'd be bending their ear. I'd be at their house, on their deck. Give me an idea how to get my team back on the field, how to get my kids back in the classroom. But there's no need for that because it's somebody else's job. And that's just not going to work. You know, it's this, the fecklessness and the backbiting I, uh, that I think has characterized so much of our response to the pandemic that makes me really concerned about the future of this country, and especially the, the way that it all comes down to politics, the politicization oh. of everything. And a study that just came out I saw earlier today shows that the, these school decisions, they're not being made with any reference to the conditions on the ground in terms of the virus. Instead, though, the way to tell whether a school is going to be open or closed is whether that, that district voted for President Trump in 2016. <laughs> it's a joke. You know, not, not everything comes down to the president. And I have to take my, my own county, where I live in Fairfax County. The, the schools, they planned for months that the schools were going to have at least two days of in-person at, uh, schooling. And then uh, a couple of weeks ago, they announced, no, no more. And I looked up the numbers. The situation had not changed in Fairfax County because of the virus. Things were things were stable. Nothing had changed. What had changed? The politics of it, the politics of it. And and all of a sudden it became a sign of resistance to President Trump to call for the schools to close. It's really it's really disturbing. It's disgusting. And the kids pay the price. Uh, Matt, great job putting baseball in perspective. My fingers are crossed uh, that they just double it up, get some double headers down the line and finish it up. And then football. Uh, stays in his bubble as long as possible because basketball's working, MLS is working, hockey's going to work. Matthew Conneny, thanks so much. Appreciate it. And we'll make sure to pick up the Washington Free Beacon. Thank you, Brian. You got it. Uh, back in a moment with you, one 408 from uh, Florida to Nebraska to Las Vegas to Seattle. We're going everywhere. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. In the following week, we checked our P.O. box for the results. Mail pickup notice, there's more. When we went to collect everything, though, most of our votes seem to be lost. That's all I have back there right now. You're sure. You're totally sure. So of our 100 ballots, 97 arrived, which sounds pretty good. Unless you consider the fact that that means three people who tried to vote by mail in our mock election were, in fact, disenfranchised by mail. Is that okay? 
That's CBS who did a study. New Jersey still counting votes in northern New Jersey, and they're suing in New York over mail-in ballots. We're not going to be able to pull it off effectively. It'll just create more doubt in our electoral system. No, Just think about a dominating family where the dad's in charge and he decides how everyone's going to vote 18 and up. Or the kids don't care and they have their mom fill it out. Or the, or the parents are told by the kids, I'll fill out yours, and they mail it in. Chuck, listen on KDWN in Las Vegas. Hey, Chuck. Yeah, uh, since the Russians helped rig Trump in 216, right? Wouldn't the Dems be leery of the Russians stuffing the mailbox for Trump? And, and Chuck, there's another report out today that the Russians are help fuel some of the negative stories about Trump and the pandemic, making it seem worse than it is. That's that GRU group is doing it again. Only this time they're putting out pandemic panic stories, like how much worse it is than the rest of the world. So they're already screwing with us. We're just making it easier for them. It's crazy. But, I mean, the Dems, wouldn't they be weary of the Russians since they, you know, used that thing for three years? If they were sincere, yes. I don't believe they're sincere, Chuck. Thanks so much in Las Vegas. Congratulations. Hopefully you'll get football with the Raiders this year. Uh, at least they're in practice, and they are the Las Vegas Raiders from here on in. Hey, this is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Go to briankilmeade.com, order any of my books, and it goes to my bookstore. I'll sign them for you. Right. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Live from the Fox News radio studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Hope you're having a great week and a great day. Hi, everybody from New York uh, and heard around the country and around the world. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Dave Bonson uh, is going to be joining us. He's the founder, managing partner, chief investment officer of the Bonson Group. Uh, it's a wealth management firm in Newport Beach, California, but in New York City. He wrote a story, He wrote an editorial in the New York Post. I think uh, you're going to want to hear his perspective, why New York business leaders need to push hard to reopen fast. No kidding. I walk through this city every day. There is nobody working. The restaurants are all closed. The graffiti is everywhere. Major stores and hotels closed, empty, or converted to homeless shelters. It is a sin. We have to find a way to do that. And Shannon Bream is standing by. Uh, good news for the Yankees. They won last night. Bad news for the Mets. They lost. And I just got some news about baseball uh, that is not good. It looks like the Cardinals game has been postponed uh, thanks to the coronavirus with the Brewers. So, And this is the second team to have a group, uh, some games postponed, as to the Phillies and Yankees, and the Marlins are the ones that are on the shelf right now. Hopefully they'll find a way to persevere. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. And we're telling right now these protesters, and many should be arrested. So they're working today and probably tomorrow to clean out this beehive of terrorists. If they don't do it, we'll be sending in the National Guard. Uh, that's President of the United States. Law and disorder. Day 63 of unrest in Portland. But for the first time, state police are allowed to do what the feds were doing. And that's got our federal guard, a federal building. This is the mayor of New York City. Spends his afternoon working hard to reduce crime. I don't know. Letting police know that he cares about them. Oh, wait a second. I have it here. I see it. Painting another street mural, this time in Queens. While crime has gone up 174% in the city. 
Those are the issues that are now blowing up in Democratic faces. Number two. They promise us that they will have in 2021 at least a couple of hundred million doses of vaccine and maybe even by the end of the year of 2021 up to a billion. Kind of hopeful, huh? We are closing in on a vaccine and on a collision course with the teachers unions about getting our kids back in school. Is anyone even trying? Meanwhile, Dems and Republicans could not be further apart on a fourth rescue package. Number one. Even as we sit here, there are those in power who are doing their darndest to discourage people from voting by closing polling locations and targeting minorities and attacking our voting rights with surgical precision. And I'll miss Congressman Lewis. Uh, ooh, I'm sorry, was I campaigning or was I eulogizing? President Obama humiliated and obsessed with defeating his successor, no doubt about it. I thought Hillary was bad. This guy is worse as he converts a eulogy about Congressman Lewis and decides to go after Republicans, bring up gerrymandering, voting rights and other issues, driving the 2020 campaign, causing a firestorm. Uh, By the way, the president did at the same time tweeting out that he might just be into delaying the election. And it was still brewing uh, by the time Shannon Bream took the reins of the network. She's Fox News's chief legal analyst. She's where I go for all my parking tickets. She's also anchor of Fox News at night and author of Finding the Bright Side. Shannon, welcome back. I have gotten you out of every ticket, correct? Right. And you had me plead insanity. It's hurting my reputation. And it keeps me on media. (laughs) But it was so easily believed and accepted by the court. And I think that's the key. So I I watched your show in the beginning. It gave me a great idea for this show. You had the CBS report on mail-in ballots. And then Rick Leventhal about the problem with New Jersey and New York with mail-in ballots. This is really, for a clear-thinking American, they should be very scared about mail-in ballots. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting um, when they went out and talked to people just on the streets, like, hey, are you going to use mail for your ballots? And what do you worry about? People are like, my packages don't even show up. I can't even find stuff at the time. Like people have real concerns that the Postal Service is going to be overwhelmed. And they have even admitted there have been discussions that, listen, we can't guarantee everything and the system, you know, potentially could be overwhelmed in this situation. Uh, So there are plenty of acknowledgments. It may not be exactly 100 percent foolproof. Yeah. uh, Here's the CBS report. Uh, Listen to this thrashing as they try to do an experiment, I assume, to show how wrong Donald Trump is. Cut 18. In the following week, we checked our P.O. box for the results. Mail pickup notice. There's more. When we went to collect everything, though, most of our votes seem to be lost. That's all I have back there right now. You're sure. You're totally sure. So of our 100 ballots, 97 arrived, which sounds pretty good. Unless you consider the fact that that means three people who tried to vote by mail in our mock election were, in fact, disenfranchised by mail. And think about that. How many of those ballots were filled out correctly? How many of those ballots were, would have been counted? So these are, I mean, Shannon, I don't know why any American wants mail-in ballots. Listen, and, and I think we all agree absentee ballots are something the president says he supports that. I mean, there's a little bit more of, uh, you know, a, a security trail with those. You and I are usually working on Election Day. I've had to absentee ballot um, vote a lot of times. But, you know, there are stringent requirements for showing up, for getting one, for ID, for it matching up. And I'll tell you, we had a primary vote here in Virginia a few weeks ago, and there were people that showed up ahead of me in the polling place. And they said, hey, listen, I changed my mind. I got an absentee ballot, but I want to vote in person now. 
you know, and, and the people, the poll workers like, wait a minute, you already, we sent you one, so that's going to count as your ballot. You can't now show up here and say that you want to vote in person. And there were two people in line ahead of me who actually did that. <laughs> so, I mean, even that, there are going to be questions about it. But mail-in balloting is definitely a different beast than absentee ballot. So I, I was struck by the the eulogy by Barack Obama. Number one, he can deliver a great speech. And Bill Clinton seems got aging before our eyes. And George Bush, I thought, put together a very deferential speech. And get this, Shannon. He actually talked about Congressman Lewis. Barack Obama Mm -hmm. went off. And I don't know if it was written down. He seemed to have been going off notes. But he was the most important speaker there, arguably outside family members. And listen to what topics he got into. Cut three. By ending some of the partisan gerrymandering so that all voters have the power to choose their politicians, not the other way around. And if all this takes eliminating the filibuster, another Jim Crow relic, in order to secure the God-given rights of every American, then that's what we should do. Well, gerrymandering, uh, he, he, I think he died in 1784. Uh, so I'm not sure if he was involved with Jim Crow. But uh, I forgot his last name. His last name was Gary. I think Eldridge Gary. And that's was, that was who was redrawing the districts. He's, he's been part of American politics from day one. I did not know that was race-oriented. It was to win. That's what you do. And that's what both sides has always done. That's what Democrats are doing when they get state houses. Were you surprised at how he used this? a little bit. I mean, because John Lewis is such an amazing American story in his own. Um, And even just to focus on what he did and what he accomplished and what he suffered and what he stood for, I think that is so powerful in itself. And as you, you mentioned, there were other presidents who did take that tack, who were there speaking. So it surprised me a little bit that Obama was so openly, um, Political and it was very campaign oriented. I almost felt like he missed it because he is very good at giving those kinds of speeches and of you know firing up the crowd and getting people motivated. And I think that um, it was it, it definitely crossed the line to way more political than I was expecting to hear. That wasn't directly linked to John Lewis and his record and the things that he suffered and what he did and, and his admonitions to stand up. Um, it definitely felt like it was a campaign speech. Yeah, so I want you to John McLaughlin's a Trump pollster, usually pretty accurate, though. As you know, the polls have not been kind to the president over the last two, three months. So here's what he said about what he heard. Cut for. It's a shame that he politicized that funeral. But on the other hand, he doesn't mention that the filibuster and Jim Crow, those were Democratic laws. That's what the Democrat Party gave to this country as their legacy. And Donald Trump and other Republicans are undoing that. So so that that was a real shame that he did that. But the other part is the Trump voters are coming and these polls are going to find them out. And no matter the, the New York Times whacked me the, uh, the yesterday because they were saying they were saying that that basically that they should do the polls based on census and dilute the number of Republicans and have adults and registered voters. We need likely voter polls because the last two elections, the Republicans were 33 percent in the exit polls in 2016 and in a bad year in 2018. And yeah. these polls are most of them are counting us. And there was a, I mean, within the margin of error, everyone in the margin of error outside Minnesota went to the president. And McLaughlin seeing that trend again, the pickup the president's getting is law enforcement. I don't know if you've, you've seen that, Shannon, but they're endorsing mm-hmm. him publicly and privately. Yeah. yeah. And we had, um, you know, the big national police union on 
uh, the night that they decided to endorse him and talk about it. And they said, listen, we invited both the candidates to come to us with their ideas and their proposals. And, you know, they said the Biden folks, there was no Biden response or, or that he didn't show up. And they said, you know, that said to us everything we needed to know. I mean, they're in the fight for their lives, most of them, um, you know, every day. They don't know when they go out on the streets what's going to happen to them. And, you know, they're being asked to go into very difficult circumstances right now uh, in a number of cities across the country. And these aren't all big cities, but, you know, these are this is consistently across the country, you know, real trouble and them, them being targeted. Um, and so I think if they feel like you know, one party or one candidate is not going to be there for them. The other one is very verbally saying, I'm going to send you this equipment and I've always got your back. I mean, they'd be crazy not to pick that person, whether it was the Democrat or the Republican. So, um, yeah, I I mean, these are unions which tend to to vote Democrat. But in this scenario, that's just not I don't think that's not going to play out that way this year, at least not for their official endorsement. I understand. Uh, I just want to tell you now we have more details. Two Cardinal players have tested positive. Uh, so they have postponed their game with the Brewers this afternoon. So it's only two, not 17 like the Marlins had. We'll get to details on that. Now, you should be able to replace two players on your roster. I think they just want to clean everything out, sanitize right. it. Uh, of course, find out the mode of transportation, where he has been, who he's been with, and then address it. But if baseball is going to work, and it's not really a question, I'm just kind of reporting this. If baseball is going to work, you've got to be able to overcome one or two positive tests and go back the next yeah. day. Right. And, and listen, my, my fear is for my beloved college football, because I think we're all, if you're a college football fan, you're itching for that to come back. But I also don't know how, how exactly this is going to work. I mean, you have, you know, hundreds of players at every school and coaches and assistants and, you know, trainers and everything else. I do not know how in the world that you're going to keep these kids from spreading it to each other. Um, but, you know, the different leagues um, and have come up with uh, ideas and uh, we'll see. We'll see if it works. But I agree. I mean, if you if you can isolate two players, we'll see. But the the thing that's so tough about this virus, and there are many awful things about it, but the fact that people can be asymptomatic, the people that, you know, you may show no symptoms at all, it may spread when you don't even know you're spreading it. I don't really know that there's a good way to do this, but I hope baseball figures it out. All right. A quick thing. I got to tap into your legal knowledge. Uh, Michael Flynn his situation. Now they're going back to the appeals court to get the full consent, mm-hmm. the full vote on whether he could have his case tossed or not. How'd that happen? Yeah. I mean, so this is what you can do. You get a three judge panel. You don't pick them when you go to the appellate level. And so they ruled two to one in favor of uh, the general that he should, uh, this case should be tossed. But then uh, you can go, if you lose, to the entire circuit, which it contains 11 judges in this case. One of them accused because he was uh, part of the Trump White House. Um, and you can go to them and say, listen, no, I want the whole thing. I want all of you to rehear my case. And they agreed to. So that's going to happen August 11th. It's a pretty quick timeline, which is a good thing for everybody involved. But now they'll make a decision. The only place left after that for whoever loses there is the Supreme Court. I don't think they're going to want to get involved with the Michael Flynn case, but they may have to. He may get his day in court all the way up there uh, if this thing goes out into the logical progression. So, Shannon, he gets his hearing on the 11th. When do we hear how they vote? Um, They can take some time. I mean, that's not something we'll probably hear, you know, overnight or within days. I mean, it usually takes weeks uh, to get a decision at that level. Um, But it's a pretty precise question they're being asked. And so we'll see how quickly they can hone in on it. So if, for example, they say, no, this should be tossed out, there was not a valid reason to to, to wiretap him, to investigate him, it should be tossed, just like the attorney general says. Is it over? It 
could be. I mean, I think a lot of people would think it should be because now you've got these judges who, listen, it's a 7-3 if you look at their appointments by Democrats. Uh, it's weighted much more heavily with Democratic appointees. Although th- in this case, a lot of people think that that is, well, most cases, it, it shouldn't ever matter in any case, but it probably won't in this one. Um, but you will have had a very thorough vetting. If, if Flynn wins there, I think Judge Sullivan is going to he's got to make a big decision. Does he really want to bother the justices with this? I don't think so. Uh, He might, but I think he may say, all right, I've had my full vetting here. And um, these are my fellow judges at the next level. I'm going to, you know, just take my, take my lumps and say, all right, we're done. You just got to find a way to get that done before November 3rd. If Donald Trump loses his life, (laughs) could spend the rest, spend the rest of his life in hyperspace. Maybe. Shannon, who do you have tonight? For a lot of people. Um, you always ask me that, and I don't know. Doesn't matter. But I can tell you this: we've we, we've got um, uh, we've got Pastor Jefferson with us tonight. He is talking about churches that are you know increasingly saying we're going to have our meetings and our services, and we're going to sing and do that kind of thing. Is it the right move? Uh, many of them view it as civil disobedience. We've also got a doctor who there's a real problem with a spike in, in uh, coronavirus cases along the southern border, and she says that we're getting a lot of people coming in from Mexico, from other countries, if they can get here, because why wouldn't you try to get into the U.S. health system? And she says, listen, by law, we need to treat everybody who comes here. That's exactly what we have to do. And that's our uh, obligation as doctors, too. But that is really feeding the problems in Texas and in California as well. So we'll get some scoop from her and try to separate a little fact from fiction. Shannon, it's always been educational and delightful to have you on today is no exception. Mostly delightful. Yeah, mostly delightful. Shannon, I'm going to watch you. I'll see you tonight. See you at 11. Hey, when we come back, your turn, one 408 We'll talk about that and hear what Diane Feinstein thinks about China. You will be stunned. Back in Giving you everything you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. On President Obama, whether that was politicizing, yeah. But here's the thing. You saw the reaction. The family and friends and the loved ones believe that what John Lewis would have wanted is for activism to continue. And I think that President Obama was answering the mail uh, by doing that at that memorial service today. Uh, Perhaps uh, Dana always has great insight. Uh, Adam, listening on WABC, we're in Queens, New York, where they now have a Black Lives Matter mural on on the street. Hey, Adam. Hey, Brian. Uh, besides that disgrace of a mayor we have for leader, I'm just going to jump right into it. You have uh, John Arlott Jr. wrote editorial or an opinion in the uh, Wall Street Journal. And uh, the heading is, uh, he, Jimmy Carter, on the danger of mail-in voting. He talks about this. The exact quote is, absentee ballots remain the largest source of potential voter fraud. That's what the 2005 Federal Election Reform Committee said that was headed by that right-wing nut Jimmy Carter. Oh, no, that's a former Democratic president that you just played. Uh, Second, you had a Russian troll news story. If anyone just Googles NBC Russian trolls, they set up a uh, story that they buried on a Saturday in April. It talks about the uh, Senate Intelligence Committee, now headed by Marco Rubio, formerly by, uh, uh, it slipped my name, uh, I'm just, uh, I'm, anyway, Burr, Richard Burr. So they discovered after seven months of investigation that a Russian troll farm was creating uh, a formula for success and just our uh, country to tear itself apart. They created essentially a different form of Black Matters, I believe the group was called. 
And if NBC Russian trolls, just put Adam, that in Google, it'll pop. Yeah, Adam, listen, I, I saw the same study. I was going to talk to the Admiral about that. That's what the Russians are doing, misinformation and China. Not, not uh, Trump is great or bad. It's the subtlety of the story to sell a narrative. And we haven't figured out a way to comb that out. We have to at least identify it. We come back, David Bonson, on the financial reason why New York has to open up now. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. To be a bar, you had to have food available. Soups, sandwiches, etc. More than just hors d'oeuvres, chicken wings. You had to have some substantive food. The lowest level of substantive food were sandwiches. You know, that is Cliff Clavin from Cheers. No, wait a second. It is... Uh, Governor Andrew Cuomo, who knows everything about everything, but really knows nothing. Uh, he was talking about the uh, the uh, the cri- their criteria for opening up a bar and restaurant, and it's almost impossible. It's the reason why they're almost all shut. You can only, only go out open air in 100-degree weather. It's the reason why you can't staff. They thought they can go indoors. They were told now they can't, despite the numbers being through the floor. It is inexcusable that this is happening. We know how to responsibly do it, and it's worth the risk. That is the premise of David Bonson, who is the founder and managing partner and chief investment officer of the Bonson Group. It's a bi-coastal private wealth management firm with offices in beautiful Newport Beach, California, and New York City, both under oppressive uh, governors-led rules to keep our economy down, and they say it's keeping us safe. David wrote an editorial in the New York Post, and the the title says it all, Why New York Business Leaders Need to Push Hard to Reopen. David, welcome. Well, thanks for having me, Brian. David, what led you to this conclusion? A lot of people saying, well, here's a successful businessman that only sees dollars. What are you seeing? Yeah, well, I do see dollars here, but they're not dollars for me. They're dollars for everybody else in New York that works at the local dry cleaner and looks at, works at the local sandwich shop and the bartenders that are not able to go to work and the busboys whose restaurants are closed and not serving the lunchtime diners because no one's in and the businesses. So, yeah, it is about dollars. It's about the dollars that we're not giving to our blue-collar uh, service, you know, lower paid type employees. They're the ones getting hammered here. It has nothing to do with dollars for people like me. You wrote a letter to some of the most powerful people in New York in the financial capital. What did that letter say? I basically was pleading with the Jamie Dimons and Stephen Schwartzmans and the great CEOs of some of New York's big uh, financial companies, but also, you know, media and, and, and kind of big corporate empires, so to speak. Uh, they're very talented executives. They're very competent, capable business leaders. And if there's going to be leadership in getting employees back to work, which is one of the dominoes necessary to get the city back to life, that leadership's going to have to come from them because it's not going to come from de Blasio and it's not going to come from Governor Cuomo. And my view is that the culture of New York is ready to respond. The spirit, energy, life of the city, the pulse that was there after 9-11 is the exact same pulse there now. 
the exact same belief system and personality that makes New York, New York is there. The problem is that you have a lot of businesses that are functional with less people in the office. They look at it and say, okay, we're getting by uh, the Zoom thing and the remote and everyone's kind of working from their pajamas at home and everything is great, but it's not great. Because first of all, it will catch up to their businesses too at some point. It is, it may be functional, but it's not optimal to take out face-to-face -face interaction from the real life management of a business. And, and I'm in a relationship business as well, and I know this firsthand. But even if it was just fine for some of these companies, Brian, it's not fine for the related economic actors of New York City, the aforementioned folks that have to come into the city and work at the delis and coffee shops that right now don't have any customers. So this to me is a, a matter of social responsibility for them to say, okay, we can safely reopen. We have the resources. We have the ability to do this with the right distancing and hygienic efforts. Let's get more and more of our people coming back, phase them in, you know, manage it appropriately. But the point is, get New York back to life. And David, my hunch is, and my gut tells me, and I, my eyes don't let me down, this is political. I mean, for my goodness, Mike Bloomberg helps bring this city back. He's got this incredible uh, business acumen. He understands law enforcement and turn it over to these people that do law enforcement, like Ray Kelly. And then he watches everything he did for the last 12 years fall apart. And he keeps his mouth shut, in my opinion. And he's, you mentioned him in the story because it would help Donald Trump to help stand up this economy. You watch. They will adhere to everything you're requesting if Biden wins. Well, and that's the thing I keep telling people is we're really not talking about my sort of Labor Day idea versus the talk I hear about New Year's Day. We're talking about November 4th because November 4th is the day that all of a sudden it's going to be okay to reopen this and reopen that and get things going back to work. And, and I don't know which people have more of a conscious and, and self-aware political agenda, which people have less of one. You know, I do know that a lot of employees at Bloomberg were invited back to the office this week. They're not being required to come back, but they've at least reopened down there at their place at 58th and Lex. And so that's a sign in the right direction. But uh, it's so outrageous that we're talking about restaurants being closed yep. on the inside when New York is down to a 1% infection rate and they're down to uh, four hospitalizations a day and some days with zero mortalities. Okay, it's just cartoonish. The numbers can't get much better than this. And, and they uh, won't. If, they don't reopen those, if they don't reopen those restaurants, uh, people like me are going to find a place to eat. But people that work at those restaurants are not going to find a place to work. David, you're 100% right. You ever try to find a gym? Can't do it. All those people are yeah. flat on their back. The, the two 24-hour fitness is declared bankruptcy. I think there's another a major chain. I don't want to misspeak, so I won't give it. Uh, for sure, about to declare bankruptcy. And the small ones, that are, the, the, who is, you, know, you know these people. Their dream to open up a gym and make it work. The margins are so small. And now... They're told for five months, when they first told us for three weeks, just to shut down. You're not even on a phase. There's no hope. What do you do if you own a gym? Well, and, that, and that's exactly right. Gyms, a lot of nail salons, hairstylists, these types of businesses. These are people who work on very thin margins. 
and they become the big victims of this policy approach. And, and I know a lot of my friends, I happen to be a conservative Republican guy, and a lot of people in my orbit want to continue to revisit what they did and didn't do back in March. And I think that's fine. There has to be discussion about what we got right and what we got wrong. But honestly, Brian, I'm not focused on criticizing anyone from March right now. I'm talking about July and August, for Pete's sake. And, and right now... Those hair salons need to be open. Those gyms need to be open. And, and the effect of it is it's a multiplier effect. Getting one open leads to more people wanting to come back to work when they know that their sandwich shop and their, and their yoga studio and these other things are all open. It feeds employment. It feeds the invisible hand of the market. And it adds to the energy and the culture of the city. Uh, I, I'm in the city. And... And, you know, we weren't for uh, for a couple of months, but then we came back and it's just not getting any better. And there's no traffic. All there are is vagrants. Nobody's working. They haven't wiped the graffiti off the buildings. Uh, most of the things are staying boarded up. For this to work, now, no one's paying their rent. So even if you were a victim, there's no new, there's no new tenants that are out there. So you give PPP loans, so we're giving money that we don't have to people to stay in a business they can't run. Now the evictions are going to come out. Okay, so now we're going to say you can't evict. Well, what are we going to tell the banks? Because I took out a loan to buy that building. And now the bank wants their payment. And they told me I can't evict anybody. So what am I going to do? Well, and that's the thing is there's a uh, a chain reaction. If the landlord, if the tenant isn't paying rent and then the landlord isn't getting rent then the landlord's not paying the mortgage and the banks are getting the mortgage, the investor pools that back a lot of these mortgages aren't getting paid. And, And the Fed ends up having to kind of come in and plug in that hole where if we could just get support to the front domino. Right. which is the tenant themselves, we would avoid all of that uh, pain along the financial supply chain that you and I just described. Now, we're, but look, I do, think, I do think August is a lost cause. I, don't, I think they're taking advantage of the fact that a lot of New Yorkers would be gone in the summer months anyways. My article was to say, look, that's fine if you guys are all going to be kind of hiding away in August. But don't do it in September. Let's get schools open. Let's get businesses reopened. Uh, don't wait all the way till January. Uh, the city can survive if we're up and running again. At least get, you know, 70% of the people back after Labor Day. I think that would be a great kind of marker for us to have. I hear you, and I love your analogy. And this is a national show, but we're located in New York. But you just talked about the mindset of New Yorkers who get the Twin Towers knocked down. And not only do they build back uh, the towers, they build back more. And not only is that real estate uh, valuable, it's more valuable. And that all came back after 9-11 when we should have been cowering. Instead, we rebuilt and we went back to work and the market reopened. We seem to have lost that edge, and the leadership locally is is not fostering it. It's not building confidence. It's telling everyone to be in fear, fear of losing your liquor license for opening, fear of being caught coverting, not uh, not instead of uh, fear of this virus. Uh, it's that's what they did. Uh, his his minions are out there trying to find people. Put he's hiring spies to spy on establishments to make sure they're selling food with liquor. That's where we're at, David. It's so far from the mindset that you outlined in the New York Post, but hopefully we adopt it. I appreciate it. David Bonson, thanks so much. 
Thanks for having me, Brian. You got it. And you can follow him at David Bonson, B-A-H-B-A-H-S-E-N. 1-866-408-7669. We'll be back to wrap things up and give you some breaking news in baseball in just a moment. Expanding your knowledge base, it's Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. You just can't beat people over the head because people watch sports to get away from reality. And right now, their reality is different. We have never seen anything like this in our lifetime, this pandemic. I mean, we've lost hundreds of thousands of people. All these small businesses are gone. All the hospitality, these restaurants trying to sustain with one-third people. I mean, it's a lot of stuff going on. Like I say, I'm never going to say just go back to basketball. Cause, but I think these guys got to be really careful. He's 100% right. That's Charles Barkley because the NBA in particular, they can put slogans, uh, catchphrases on their back that talk about a mission. But you can't say free Hong Kong. You can't say blue lives matter because that would be heresy. And he's saying don't overstep. Everybody kneeled, including the equipment managers and coaches during the national anthem. You okay with that? Everyone kneeled during Major League Baseball. According to stats, over 50% of the country, a lot of people kneeled. They have a moment of silence before I'm fine. You stand up for the national anthem. A lot aren't doing it. Uh, The American people, according to stats, say I have no problem kneeling now. Over 50%. I don't think it changed much. I think we were moved by what happened with George Floyd, the aftermath. I think that that is uh, going to boomerang quick. A lot of people saying, I don't need this. And, um, and the lack of respect that's going on uh, towards police by the athletes is not helping. There's a lot more cops than there are athletes. And there's a lot of great cops who sacrifice a heck of a lot and don't make much money. And now they can't even wear their uniforms home because it's looked at as a big negative. Um, meanwhile, um, uh, meanwhile, we do have some news. It's not good. The St. Louis Cardinals had to postpone their game against the Brewers because two players tested positive. We know last weekend the Marlins had a chance to do, uh, the Mar- Marlins had to suspend indefinitely. I think probably till this end of this weekend. I do think here's the positive on this. The positive on this is that when the Marlins come back and they're able to play at full throttle, and that's not good yet. It's going to be about four years off of contending. They'll say, okay, wait a second. Most of that team had the virus. The whole team bounced back. They now got the antibodies in theory. We'll see. Meanwhile, this just in, in the wake of the several games postponed by the Marlins, uh, the League of Major League Baseball Players Association planned, a, planned to play a seven-inning doubleheaders to make up that time. Awesome. The agreement was reached quickly with, their, with there being little time to waste. They're only playing 60 games. Uh, MLB's controversial extra innings rule, which puts a player on second base to begin the frame, will carry over into the compressed doubleheader. Good. The Marlins, Yankees, and Phillies have all pushed back uh, games after multiple Miami players tested positive. The other thing I would do, and I'll hold to this, Pete, I don't know if you think this is possible. Why can't every team activate their AAA roster and keep them practicing in their minor league city? I mean, that makes sense. I mean, you, you have, and a lot of these teams strategically over the last few years put their AAA or AA teams close to where they play so that they can make those call-ups quickly, especially when they're home. It makes perfect sense. I have to say, it's, a, it's one of those times I agree with you 100%. 
which is very rare. A lot of times you will on the air, but and then you'll tell. Yeah, Eric, when I turn the microphone off, I'm going to tell Eric this is a horrible idea. Right, and uh, and please, uh, when he comes in, just act like he's not here when the show ends, which happens a lot. So uh, just to further update, get this because the Marlins' behavior, knowing these guys tested positive, they still went out. So now Major League Baseball is setting up babysitters essentially in light of their outbreak. The league will now require teams to travel with a compliance offer to make sure players and staff follow protocols. This is according to ESPN. The updated health and safety protocols come as the league has launched this investigation into how 16 players and two coaches on the Marlins came to test positive. To tell you the truth, I can't believe they don't have compliance offices because we don't know how to do this. I mean, we're, I'm reading it every day, and there's stuff that we do. We're watching Anthony Fauci sit in the stands after throwing out a first pitch and bouncing it and then sit with his buddies with his mask off two inches from his uh, wife and his friend. So he wasn't following protocols. We watched uh, Nadler, that genius, yell at everyone to wear a mask while he was holding the mask in his hand. So you need somebody out there. Hey, guys, separate. Hey, do me a favor. You know, test. You guys haven't tested yet. Wait for this to come in. Hey, uh, you know, hey, uh, here's Jeter to tell you uh, what, how everyone did on their test. You can't study for it. You're going to have to find a way to complete it. You think the players would have been just a little smarter, though, because they, it's been drilled into their head. I mean, I know they had this these several pages agreement. So you think they would have been just a little bit smarter. Hey, let's not go to a club tonight. Maybe not the best idea. I can't believe there are clubs. I, I can't even find them. So that's me. But I guess in Miami, it's even more tempting. They are getting slammed, but I guess some are doing the backdoor thing. I have no idea. Uh, Eric, I'm going to ask Eric when we get off the air, because Eric knows all the hot spots in this area that are like the speakeasies of, of 2020. So I'll find out for right. Eric. And the speakeasy theory was fascinating. It'll be an ice cream shop and there'll be a door and the door you just push on it and then you go in the back and there's a raging party, which is pretty much high school. There was always a party somewhere else that I was. So uh, for me, life was a big speakeasy where I never found the door. Uh, in fact, uh, I think that's a Hallmark card. They're still by invite only. They still exist. <laughs> Thank you. Hey, uh, just real quick. A lot of people are calling and they're talking about uh, school. We just talked to David Bonson about New York's got to open and school's got to open too. A Manhattan principal has told parents at his school this week that their kids likely will be in classroom only five or six times a month. It's this guy, Bob Bender from PS11. He says social distancing requirements will severely curtail the student's ability to physically be in school. Come on. Are you kidding? The numbers are in the floor. I mean, I mean, there was a better chance of getting um, scurvy. De Blasio's reopening plan anticipates that most kids attending class two to three times a week. When kids come out and there is no problem, there's going to be a few teachers testing positive. The unions will rally and try to shut everything down again because they don't care about the country. They care about their union. I'm Brian Kilmeade. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Go to briankilmeade.com. Order all my books, including Sam Houston on paperback and the Alamo Avengers. Uh, And meanwhile, sign up for the podcast on radio.com, on iTunes, and iHeart. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.